Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 331st edition of Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting in this eighth year across the world from our studios on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. I've been an avid supporter of cryptocurrencies for a number of years, as those who listen to this program probably know. And up till now, the major investors have been techies. However, I guess because of all the publicity it's received, average Joes are flooding into cryptocurrencies. And the number of regular people investing is growing rapidly as cryptos, I guess, have been easier to research and easier to buy. Many of these new buyers have been motivated, of course, by the stories of people becoming multi-millionaires almost overnight with a relatively small investment. And it seems that in last year, 17, that was possible. We put a small amount in and I think we got about 9,000% increase on our investment in a year. But in contrast to last year's constant meteoric rise in everything crypto, this year it's been a roller coaster. Experience a pretty strong downturn in prices. And many of the new buyers who came in late have found their portfolios well and truly in the red. There's been crashes, one heart-stopping one. Um, we were, uh, woke up one morning and our portfolio just about halved, which is, you know, pretty palm-sweating. There's been rallies, and now I guess we've got a partial recovery. But uh, all along the way, there's been these heart-stopping adrenaline highs and lows, which probably isn't good for a, a newbie. These new crypto investors in the main don't understand the blockchain, cryptocurrencies or ICOs. I guess mainly they're ordinary investors grabbing onto the latest trend. And most of them have little understanding of how cryptocurrencies work or why they even exist. Buyers have changed from a predominantly small group of techies to the average guy in the street. Now, I guess the question is whether this is a similar phenomenon to the late 1990s when investors jumped in on the dot-com boom only to watch their wealth evaporate when the dot-com bubble burst big time. So apart from Bitcoin, there are now more than 1,500 cryptocurrencies to choose from, from popular coins like Ether and Ripple to obscure coins like Dentacoin. Now, that's a cryptocurrency intended for use only by dentists. That one I don't quite get. A variety of consumer-friendly websites have made investing much easier. And online forums are now filled with posts from ordinary retail investors who were never seen talking about crypto previously. I think many 
new investors were motivated by a fear of missing out on profits. There seemed to be a never-ending rally, and every day it was being hyped and hyped and hyped. And you know, one Bitcoin last November was worth almost twenty thousand dollars, which had gone up from I think a hundred dollars at the start of twenty seventeen. And as of this morning, it was worth about ten thousand. Other coins made even bigger gains and experienced equally dizzying drops in the last month. But investors who got into Bitcoin early shrug off the recent downturn. What the hell does it matter? I'm still up 5,000%, arguing that cryptocurrencies will be worth much more in the future. So in the grand scheme of things, today's drop is a hiccup on the road to big profits. Who knows? Time will tell. So I guess the question is, is it the Bitcoin boom all over again? I don't think so. I still think that at today's prices, it's a good time to get in. But then don't take my word for it. I am not a financial advisor, but um, I like it. Now, 2017 was also a rocky year for kids' content on the internet. There was a lot of criticism of whether content was good for kids or not, and the growing need for kid-friendly technologies thrown some unknown kid tech startups into the spotlight. The kid tech company Super Awesome, I love that name, I think that's brilliant. Super, what's the name of your company? Super Awesome. Well, they're leading the charge with their first ever profitable quarter in 2017 and a 70% growth year over year. That's a damn good effort. And recent controversies around what should be labelled as kids' content on platforms like YouTube have shown a pressing need for regulations that make tech safer for kids. And Super Awesome aims to fill in the gaps. You know, one of the hardest things in the world if you're in in a startup or something is trying to come up with a really cool name. And I can just imagine them sitting around over a few cans of beer and somebody says, why don't we call it Super Awesome? And everybody says, hey, that's really cool. Now, Super Awesome technology powers many big-name platforms in the children's market like Activision and Hasbro and Cartoon Network to ensure kids-safe advertising, social engagement tools and parental controls. And they also make sure that advertisers aren't tracking kids' personal data. Super Awesome accredits the world shift to digital as a main source of its growth. You know, and TV's viewing's falling about 20% annually. So every year there's 20% less people watching TV. And that's a huge shift but many companies didn't take kids into account when the digital shift first started taking place. But Super Awesome, well, they've already got it covered. Their kids' social platform, Pop Jam, lets developers create experiences where kids can like, comment, share, and repurpose online kid-friendly content. YouTube 
well, I've been in a frenzy over the past year, desperately trying to figure out how to protect kids from the seemingly insurmountable influx of inappropriate content that's targeting them on the site. And if Super Awesome can figure out how to effectively police it, well, I reckon the world's their playpen. It's a very sensitive area with a hell of a lot of money. It's a kids' market. I don't know about you. I don't know how people have gone off watching television and, and are watching small screens. Um, you know, in my bedroom, I've got a screen that's probably, I don't know, 36 inches or something. And I find that really small. I'd much rather be sitting in the lounge watching my big screen. And as far as sitting watching a television program on a phone, forget it. Doesn't work for me, but it obviously works for a hell of a lot of other people. Do you get my uh, daily 30-second read business newsletter? If you don't, you should. It is um, super awesome. <laughs> we now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers. It takes mm, 30 seconds to a minute to read, and every day we tackle a different subject. You know, we talk about advances in medicine, talk about new apps, new technology, Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, all of those things. It's absolutely free. Its information is invaluable and we will not under any circumstances give your mailing details to anyone under any circumstances. So if you don't get my newsletter, go to my website, which is Bob pritchard.com enroll like loads of other people do every day and if you get it a few times and you don't like it you don't find that it's um, helpful to you unsubscribe sim paul did you know that um, our eyes can predict your heart attack risk google's algorithms are now able to predict whether someone has high blood pressure or is at risk of a heart attack or a stroke, simply by looking in their eyes. This opens a fantastic new opportunity for artificial intelligence in the health industry. The algorithms don't outperform existing medical approaches such as blood tests and all that stuff, but the new approach could provide a tool that people could use quickly and easily themselves for health risks that can contribute to heart disease which is the leading cause of death worldwide. So this might represent a rapid way for people to scream for risk. Diagnosis is about to get turbocharged by technology, and this is one way to empower people with to get useful information about their health. Now, Google fed images scanned from the retinas of more than 280,000 patients across the United States and the United Kingdom into its intricate pattern-recognising algorithms known as neural networks. And these scans help train the networks on which telltale signs tended to indicate long-term health dangers. This is the interesting part. No one taught the algorithms look, what to look for. Instead, the algorithms taught themselves by reviewing enough data to learn the patterns found in the eyes of people at risk. So the idea that um, people's eyes might reveal signs of underlying cardiovascular disease isn't as outlandish as it might seem. Diabetes and high blood pressure, for example, 
can cause changes in the retina. And Google's algorithms approach the ac accuracy of current methods and can correctly predict, predict the patient who fell ill over 70% of the time. Now, that's, um, that's incredible. So similar deep learning technologies have exploded in the past five years, and they're now widely used in systems such as Google and Facebook's facial recognition. They're also showing signs of promise in other areas of health, including looking for signs of cancer in X-ray scans. So it's very big deal. Apple last year launched a heart study tied to its Apple Watch to see if it could detect and alert people to irregular heart rhythms that could be a sign of atrial fibrillation, the leading cause of stroke. Now, very quickly, marijuana was legalized in Colorado in 2012, and it's brought in hundreds of millions in tax revenue, but it's still illegal to smoke marijuana in public. So Colorado residents Joel and Lisa Schneider created America's first pot-friendly hotel, aptly named Bud and Breakfast. They don't have a license to sell weed, so you bring your own. But um, it's a safe haven for guests to smoke dope in peace while on vacation with a complimentary wake and bake breakfast that includes bacon and eggs and an open area in which you sit and smoke marijuana. Also included is a 4.20pm gathering in the living room with munchies. So <laughs> I think that's a pretty cool idea. Bud and Breakfast Hotel. Now my guest today, after this next short break, Brian Ashcraft is responsible for the developing systems and processes to help tax preparers meet rigorous compliance standards. Now um, before his tax compliance business, Brian Ashcraft opened 100 new Liberty Tax Serviced offices, oversaw hiring and training for 250 company-owned locations. So what I think is great about Brian is that he obviously not only understands tax, but he also understands how to do business, and that understanding is exactly what entrepreneurs need. And I'll be back with Brian after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show from Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com.
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show. We're in our eighth year now of giving you insights into the lives of over, I think, 350 or 360 of the world's most interesting people. We find out what they do, what challenges they face, what makes them tick, or we give advice on how you can improve your chances of being successful in your business. You know, it's it's extremely difficult to be successful, as is evidenced by the fact that somewhere over 90% of businesses fail. And uh, one of the reasons they fail, particularly with, with startup businesses, is that the creator of whatever the technology or the product is, is usually really good at inventing a product, but not so good at employing people, managing a business, planning, um, speaking to accountants or lawyers or all of the people that they need to um, speak with. And they and they think that um, if they launch their product, then people will come from everywhere to buy it or use it. And that ain't so. So um, usually they fall down um, in a bunch of areas and, and legals and tax planning and accounting are usually areas that um, can go horribly wrong not too far down the track. Now, one of the most important aspects of business today is tax. It can either work for you or it can kill you. We've all heard about the tax reforms over the past little while. What effect do these reforms really have on business? And what steps do you need to take to make sure that you are minimising your tax the best way? Not avoiding, but minimising. As a Director of Tax Compliance at Liberty, my guest today, Brian Ashcroft, is responsible for developing systems and processes to help franchisees and their tax preparers meet rigorous compliance standards. And you know, the tax department can be very unforgiving and not only can cost you a lot of money but can cause you an awful lot of grief. Now before moving to tax compliance, Brian was the Director of Operations for Corporate Offices where he opened 100 new Liberty tax service offices, oversaw hiring and training for 250 company-owned locations and was responsible for delivering revenue and profit targets. Now the reason I think this is so important is that he obviously not only understands tax, which is important, but he also understands how to do business and what's required in business. And uh, that understanding, I believe, is exactly what entrepreneurs need. Brian, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You are being heard all around the world. Oh, Hello, Bob. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to join you today. Thanks. Now, when entrepreneurs are excited about their new product or project and establishing their business structure, (laughs) which some of them do, um, how important is the consideration of tax at that point? Is it something that I really should think about before I launch into my company or can I just put it off until I make money somewhere down the track and worry about it then? 
You know, sometimes I think uh, well-intentioned plans uh, get laid to waste and, and people dive in. Um, as you start a business, um, considering the tax implications is, is certainly something that needs to be considered at the beginning of that. Um, you know, a couple of things, considering the type of uh, structure you want to do as a business uh, has some uh, many different ramifications, you know, some liability ramifications, but also some tax ramifications as well to be able to consider what it is that you're looking to do and, and how to best protect you and your situation and, and how to best um, set up your corporation or your, your partnership or your um, LLC, whatever you're going to try to do to understand what it is you're, you're trying to get to and then set it up to help you get there and facilitate that for you. So I think it's very important to consider as you launch into business uh, for sure. I could not agree with you more. Um, so another thing that uh, comes up quite often is people say, well, um, I've got um, I've got the company registered in um, California at the moment, and when I start to get some money and it starts to grow, then I'll, I'll move it off to Singapore or Hong Kong or somewhere that's a low-tax um, area. And it's my understanding that once you start making money here and you move it offshore, then the tax department jumps on you because they say that you're simply doing it to avoid tax. Is that true? But, you know, one of the things, Bob, I think with the new um, legislation that's just come into play, that was one of the things that um, Congress was looking to kind of close the loophole to make our business tax rate more competitive from a global standpoint. And so really, I think probably that thinking um, may be even a thing of the past as, you know, now our, our corporate rates have moved from the 35% range down to the 21% range, which is more of in line with um, many of the other competitive countries around the globe. And so hopefully um, that, that'll help keep some of the business here and, and keep some of the tax dollars here by making the um, corporate tax rate more competitive uh, as it stands on a global basis. There are still a bunch of com uh, countries where you, you can pay 5% or something like that. Um, Certainly. So what happens if you if you do move offshore? Do, does the tax department determine that that's simply a tax avoidance exercise? Well, e each situation is going to be unique in regards to that. And so if, if you were looking to do something as that, I would certainly recommend that um, you, you reach out and get professionals uh, to help you make those kind of decisions so that you can understand the risk as well as the benefits with being able to do something. That becomes very complicated accounting right. that, um, you know, many small businesses never hit that stage where they try to do, but there's some large businesses and they employ, um, you know, a lot of in-house counsel and, and accountants um, to help them walk through that process. So if I'm a, if I'm a small business um, and I'm looking for good accounting advice, you're probably a bit biased in this, but am I better going to guys like Liberty that are big rather than go to my local guy that's got a shingle up in a shop down the road? Yeah, so certainly I'm going to be biased with that, but um, I think it's biased for good reason. Um, one of the things that you get when you partner with someone like Liberty Tax is you don't only get the local person because we're franchise owned. So we have um, small business owners located throughout the United States. 
And one of the things that you get is the, the local relationship, but you get the resources of a company that can provide the information, the training, and also the back-end help needed for the, um, the franchisee. So it, it's in essence a, a mom and pop with a strong infrastructure and support system to provide everything that a big company could with the service and the relationship and the know-how, and also the passion and ownership that the franchise model, model brings. Right. And so, you know, that that's kind of the big thing I look at when, uh, and, and I have conversations with um, small mom and pop owners of tax shops, and they, they're, they're beat down with trying to keep up with the rules and the regulations and the new changes, and do you need sort of um, continuing professional education for this? Are you able to do this? Can you keep up with this, with all the tax law changes? And we've got departments that... Um, go through all of that information, filter it down, and then put a process in place to say, we, you know, kind of the same way many small businesses, they don't want to do what they don't do well. And yeah. so we take that burden off of them and allow them just to interface with a customer, do what they love to do, and then we provide them with the resources and um, infrastructure that, that helps them uh, stay competitive and ultimately makes them a more um, efficient and effective choice in a local market. Just just one comment that I'd have on that, I, and I say this to my listeners all the time, that um, we are now in a commercial environment where you need to keep learning. No longer can you leave college and think that those qualifications are going to sustain you um, throughout your business life because, you know, I, I, got, I got my degrees a lot of years ago, and I think they're learning what I did um, in my final year at college, I think they're probably doing that in about um, <laughs> last year of high school now. So, so yeah, I, I agree with you. I've got I've got students in that range right now um, as a parent, and I'm like, wait, I don't think I took that class until college. Yeah, and I don't think I can help you with your homework today. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been through that. Um, so, this these new tax reforms. Um, how are they affecting small business and small business small business owners? I've sort of got the feeling that you know it's going to be a bonanza for small business and small business owners, but we're kicking this giant deficit somewhere down the road, and uh, it's going to come and bite us in the ass at some point. But how how's the tax reform working now? So while, while it's true, much of the tax reform um, handles the individual tax return, um, yeah. there, there are still some important key provisions that were a part of the tax reform that impact um, businesses and um, more specifically the pass-through entities or, or the small businesses that, um, you know, the, the self-employed person. So yeah. while they want to pay attention to both the personal and the business side, but but obviously the, the headline of the bill in terms of businesses is the 20% deduction that small business owners get to take from their uh, taxable income. So if, you know, say for instance, they get through with the year and their, their business income is $75,000 for instance. Right. Um, typically that $75,000 would be taxed, but under the new provision with the pass-through deduction of 20%, you would obviously get to take What's that? Seventy-five thousand. You get fifteen grand off instead of reduce your taxable income down to sixty thousand dollars. And so, 
you're going to see an immediate tax savings on that because in, in, in addition to the regular tax, you also have your portion of the self-employment tax when it's um, what are you, self-employed. What are you giving up, though, to get that? Are you giving up something else to get that fifteen grand, Or is that fifteen no, that grand a bonus the, over what it used to be? Yeah, that's, that's just part of the new provision that uh, the new uh, 20% deduction um, was was one of the headlines of the uh, small business portion of the, the tax reform. Okay, from a from a taxation point of view, um, you know we we often talk to entrepreneurs about um, whether they should set up a corporation or remain unincorporated, and we usually say you should incorporate because um, you get a whole bunch of protections that, with the history of small business, you could well need. Um, from a tax perspective, does it matter really if most small businesses, I'm not talking about something that, you know, starts off as a small business and ends up being a Facebook, but something, you know, a guy that's um, got a small business, it could be, could be a new app, it could be a mini Facebook, it could be buying a dry cleaner. Is he better off from a tax perspective um setting up a corporation or remaining unincorporated or does it not make any difference? You know, so many of the small businesses actually don't do what we would call a typical incorporation where they're a uh, a C corp, but many of them will take many of the, like the subchapter S corporations um, or will will do some kind of partnership or LLC because from from a standpoint of the small business, most all of them are taxed. Um, you can choose to be taxed as personal for many of them, but you can still get the protections from a liability perspective. So from a taxing perspective, what I find most people doing and, and it's very beneficial for them is to set up with some kind of LLC or, or, or S Corp um, that allows you to um, take advantage of some of the opportunities to um, have a pass-through income, and, and certainly it depends on if you've got any other income in your in your personal household, if you've got a, a spouse that works, or you've got other jobs, or if the income that you make out of your company is exceeds what would typically be um, earned by a person of what you actually do inside the business, then you, you can do a, an S-Corp that allows you to, to pass some of that money through um, without hitting the self-employment tax. It would just go straight on your your personal income tax uh, return. So there's a lot of options to consider, but for by and large, um, most of what we see are people um, forming LLCs or, or simply um, an S-Corp or some kind of partnership. What's the dis- disadvantage of that over um, a regular C-Corp? Well, so in terms of advantages and disadvantages, it, it more depends on what your situation is um, because, you know, what could be seen as a disadvantage for one could be seen as an advantage for another. So really, um, my advice to everybody is as, as you get into looking at starting a business, you know, many of the chambers have um, courses that you can go through where they'll have an attorney speak, they'll have a, a um, person from tax speak, they'll have a person from marketing speak, and that way you can get like a functional um, idea of each important aspect of a business because one thing might be an advantage from a tax side might be a disadvantage from a lawyer's point of view. Right. And so really to get that whole picture, I would recommend they sit down because every situation, while, while we're all the, um, well, there's an average for everyone, we know that no one's average in, in and of yeah. themselves, everybody's unique. 
And so really to sit down and kind of understand what your personal situation is and what the implications are. So um, oftentimes, just the simple advantage of a small business owner, a LLC um, is, is much less cumbersome um, to open and maintain than, say, a C-Corp is. Okay. Um, you know, there's some different filings, you know, either a 1065 or an 1120. So there's a few different ways you have to file your tax return depending on which um, corporation you're set up as. Yeah. And no matter which one, which way you go, it's a pain in the ass, right? <laughs> if, if there was a simple way to do it, the answer would be easy, but everyone comes with some kind of hoops you've got to jump through. If it was easy, you'd be out of a job. Exactly. <laughs> so thank you for making everything complicated. That keeps us uh, gainfully employed. Okay. Well, it's nearly tax time again, at least here in the States it is. Um, I know that consumers can benefit from an early filing, but is that the same for businesses? Is there any benefit to a business filing early? Not necessarily. Um, Most of the um, reason for an individual to file early is um, the, obviously the identity theft, um, the the stolen identity refund crisis that is kind of, um, fortunately has started to be moving in the right direction now. It's made substantial progress here over the last couple of years, and that's the main reason that we encourage individuals to to file their tax return early, because right now, um, once you file, then no one can steal your identity and file your tax return because you've already got it filed, and the the IRS only accepts one electronic file. So uh, people are are stealing your identity and filing tax returns before you do, and nicking your refund. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so um, unfortunately, um, anytime there's there's money and opportunity involved, people sometimes find a way around that. So they will, will file a fraudulent tax return based on a stolen identity and claim a refund. Now the taxpayer has recourse um, for that. Uh, it just makes it a lot more complicated. And I mean, the IRS has taken steps with um, the new W-2 verification code pilot that um, kind of is is out there now. It's it's probably on one out of every four W-2s, but help to authenticate the tax return and make it more difficult for um, someone unscrupulous to be able to get the information. So in essence, what it's done is it's making the um, criminal have to come up with more information than they currently have to do, which makes it more cumbersome for them and more difficult. So it reduces the amount of people that are able to do it. Although one would have thought that um with the information that's available and all the information that we now put up into the sky um, through the Facebooks and the rest of the you know, social media, that um, if they have part of your information, they probably have most of it. Well, surprisingly enough, it, it's actually uh, caused a lot more phishing scams to um, to kind of surface as, as you know, sometimes um, we make it very simple for crooks to get information by falling uh, prey to some of the, the simple phishing scams that are out there. And we just graciously provide on occasion information to people, um, you know, by accident or, you know, un- unintentionally uh, falling for a scam or a scheme that somebody's playing on us. Right. Now, there's millions of workers out there who are part of the gig economy. Um, how does this tax return uh, reform affect them. And for those of you listening who are not familiar with the term gig economy, um, it applies to 
workers who are employed on short-term contracts or employed as freelancers. And this sector, as we all know, is growing very rapidly, um, not only with established businesses, but there are so many more new industries that have popped up that use um, short-term contracts, deliveries, you know, those sorts of things. Now, so what tips do you – if you're a gig economy worker, um, apart from trying to do it all under the table for cash, what tips have you got as a tax guy for, for gig economy workers? Well, we we'd certainly never recommend that. No, of course you wouldn't. Of course not. <laughs> you know, one of the things that, that I noticed in, in working with thousands of people who are involved in gig economies is just – um, and I've, I've said it hundreds of times, but people who keep better records, yeah. their tax return turns out better than people who don't keep good records. And that that is probably the biggest thing that, that I could help with is that, you know, people go out and get, you know, get their side hustle on. But what they fail to do is they don't realize that, hey, they come from a, uh, a place where, somebody withholds taxes from their paycheck and an employer pays half and then they pay half and all that's deducted. So they just get a check at the end of the day to realizing they get to the end of the, the year and they haven't paid anything in taxes because nobody withheld anything. And then they realize that they have, they have to pay their portion yeah. of the social security plus the employers. And that 15.3% comes out of sticker shock to them at the end of the year. So really, putting a system in place where you can keep track of your revenue and keep track of your expenses is, is vital. And, and many small business owners, and who can blame them, right? Yeah. If you get cash, you put it in one pocket and then you take it out of the other pocket to buy something and whatever you have left is your profit. Well, you've got to get better record keeping than that. So one of the things is just make sure you understand what your income is and keep track of it, where it came from, and then your expenses, what they're going to, and, and categorize them. Um, that's a key when you start to go put this together. But you know, many of these folks that are, are doing a gig economy now and they're, they're out working for themselves and, and, and many, many, many are doing that now, they'll put that on a Schedule C on their, on their tax re- return and they'll, they'll benefit from that 20% redu- deduction as well from the income. So they'll actually have a little less tax burden than they did last year in this new year if they're, if they're doing something like that. Keeping track of all that stuff is a pain in the butt isn't it? It's a bit like your mileage in your car. What did you use for personal? What did you use for business? Keeping a log, all of that is just a pain, or I find it to be a pain. Are there any good apps that you would recommend for somebody in the gig economy to keep track of all this stuff more easily? You know, funny you mention that. We actually have a partnership with a place called Mile IQ. Mile, uh, like it sounds, M-I-L-E-I-Q. Correct. Yeah. And um, it, it's kind of, it It really only keeps up with um, your mileage. Right. That seems to be the one that's the most difficult for, for people to get their arms around and, and to do that consistently. A lot of times we can throw a receipt in our wallet or a purse and, and keep up with that. But Mile IQ, I um, mean, it's mileiq.com. Right. Um, and they can use the, um, the code Liberty. And I think we've got a two month free trial that uh, your listeners could take advantage of as well if they wanted to do that. Well, they're going to have one new customer as soon as we get off this call because it is, it's just a pain trying to keep track of all that. And I can imagine for somebody working in the gig economy, that would be just, 
you know, you've worked your ass off all day and then you want to get home to your family and you've got to sit there for half an hour doing bloody paperwork. Yes, and, you know, unfortunately, um, in my household, we have one that's in the uh, self-employed arena and I'm constantly, did you write your mileage down? Do you have your mileage? Oh, I forgot. So it is really, oh, if somebody could figure this out for us, wouldn't that be nice? It would be terrific. So mileiq.com. Okay. Correct. Got that. So what's to be expected for this tax season and beyond? We, Where are we going with all this? You know, it, it, if, if I could read the tea leaves, um, you know, I would, I would be a rich man. Um, but, you know, just kind of looking at it, I think long term, um, you know, even as some of the things that are still coming out now with some of the earnings releases, I think the, the, uh, the, the cuts in the business taxes is really putting some money back into businesses and they want to do something with it. So they're purchasing things and giving bonuses to employees. And anytime you're, you're putting money into the economy, um, that, that's a good thing. You know, I mean, save for the, um, the couple of places that had deferred tax assets. Um, of course, if you've got a deferred tax asset and the tax drops down tremendously, the, the benefit that you have on your books has got to be reduced. And so that can cut into some short-term earnings. Um, we saw that kind of at the end of the fourth quarter, at the end of 2017, as businesses had to recognize that. But, you know, some of them have deferred tax liabilities, which that would reduce that and free up a little more cash flow as well. Right. But, you know, I, I think ultimately, um, as, as we continue as we continue at it, it's going to be a balancing act on finding what's the right way to uh, it, it's the same struggle that businesses have that that our government has. Where, where do you strike the right balance between infusing a company with capital to get the growth that you need? But at the same time, you don't have unlimited resources and the government faces that same um, issue is how do you strike the right balance between the revenue that you bring in and the amount of um, capital that you get into the system to help keep the uh, wheels of the engine moving forward. But ultimately, I, I think some of the provisions that we made with, with the businesses will at least help um, continue to, to put some money into the economy and, and to keep it moving forward. And I think businesses, um, anytime we've got somebody that's that's pro-business or we've got a house in the Senate that's pro-business, I think that's good. At least for us, we've got 1,700 small business owners across the country. Mm. Um, and, and so the pass-through deduction will help. The Section 179 expansion, of course, is going to help as businesses can continue to take advantage of that, reduce their um, their income and be able to, to take the expenses fully instead of moving them over years. So, so I think there's a lot be- of positive. Going to be any changes to Section 179? So the only change that that came about in uh, 179 from the uh, reform is it is it doubled it from 500,000 to 1 million. Right. So um, that that's the only change in it. And well, I take that back. It also expanded. Um, you know, so some of the real property, like before, you couldn't do like a roof or heating and cooling or fire protection things of that nature. Those are included in qualified real property now. So. It didn't change much. It, it expanded what would qualify for a 179 deduction, and it, then it doubled from 500000 to a million. Right. Um, unreimbursed employee expenses, um, are those deductions staying or are they going away? Or the, Those deductions are going away. And so, um, you know, the, 
a, a few of them that kind of expired or, or they didn't put into the new provision is the moving expenses, um, the home office deduction, and then, uh, of course, the unreimbursed um, employee expenses. Yeah. So, um, you know, ultimately those those would have had to go on a, a Schedule A to, to itemize versus the standard deduction. So, in reality, we had about 70% of the tax filers um, uh, file standard deduction at about 30% itemized. And the studies are kind of out there now with the, with the change to the way we can do the, the um, property tax um, with the limiting on, on that piece of it. Um, and then the, the miscellaneous deductions such as this that are um, going away, but really the cap on the, um, the state and local taxes, the SALT provision, that's going to be the big one. So the estimates are between 5 and 15% that will itemize now. So the, the population that will be impacted by the um, removal of the employee, um, unreimbursed employee expenses, will, it's a big number, but it's a small number percentage-wise. Yeah. And it's still subject to the 2% of your adjusted gross income. Okay. Um, it was subject to 2%. So, yeah. you know, even the full amount wasn't deductible. Yeah. So in smaller companies um, where profits are passed through to the owners of the business and then the re- owners report that income on as individuals and pay tax on it along with any other normal income they might have, what do we need to know about pass-through businesses now? Is it yeah, I think that's, that's the um, – what's that? Is it any different? No, it's, it's, it's virtually the same um, with, with the exception and the caveat of the, um, the 20% deduction that we talked about earlier. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the key part on the, on the pass-through. And, um, you know, that's got a cap. I think it's about $315,000, if I remember right, somewhere around in there. So that cap is, has increased. Um, you know, one of the things that might help on the personal side for um, those with pass-through business income is – you know, one of the key things on the on the personal side is the um, child tax credit. Right. And, you know, one of the things it was double, but the also the other piece of it was the um, phase out range was was increased dramatic, uh, drastically, and so sometimes people with with pass through incomes that would put their income too high to take advantage of the child tax credit. Right. You know, many of them will be able to take advantage of the child tax credit again, which would be a, a tax savings for them as well. And then, of course, as the, the brackets have kind of creeped down a little bit, probably about 3% for, for many of them, um, that, that'll also um, help with the tax burden and liability that you might have in the pass-through. So, overall, um, the new corporate tax rate, will it help or hinder business firstly, in the longer run, and will it help or hinder the economy in the longer run? I saw something this morning that said that they're estimating the growth in the economy at 2.3% for the next eight years or something. Um, That's not really much different than what we've had without these tax cuts. So how's these tax cuts helping or what's the projected result of these? You know, it, it's, it's really tough to, to say what the outcome is going to be. But, 
but clearly if, if it looks like we'll be able to, like you said, it, it's not a lot different than what we've seen in the economy for the past years as well. But one of the things in order to sustain it, some, some people have said this will help us sustain that um, economic growth that we've had. Um, there's also some um, conversation around, hey, we're going to be able to have that type of growth even with interest rates moving back to a different level than zero that, that sometimes in the past has helped spur that economic activity along. So, you know, that, that growth along with the interest rates moving in, in an upward direction, if you can maintain that growth and add some um, um, the interest rate increase in there, you know, you can, you can make the case that you're getting a little bit of an of a additional economic output from that. Um, and, and it also can kind of maybe um, curve the, the, um, the idea of, of, of deflation and, and help with some things of that nature, but also make sure the inflation doesn't get too high. So there, there's a lot of, of moving pieces that go along with this. So to be able to project out eight years is, is really tough to say. Um, it, it does seem to be right now to have been received positively by many people, and and really what we're going to find out is, you know, when we reconcile our tax return for 2018 next tax season in, in January through April in the U.S. of uh, 2019, we'll, we'll get to find the reality of that for many people. But you know, right now most people got a, a small bump in their paycheck starting this month. Yep, and so some people feel a little richer this month than they did last month. So that's all good, um, and all those things are good. We are running. In fact, we've run out of time. But what are the top three takeaways from the, from our little chat, from your perspective? Yeah, I, I guess from if I was to recap it here real quickly, with, with the the first thing for the small business owners is take time to to walk through these things, and if you don't do them yourself, find someone to help you with them because like you uh, said at the beginning of the interview, they got into business because they love something. They don't love all the stuff you have to do to make that something. And so don't be afraid to reach out for help and to have other people who love the stuff you hate to help you with that so that you can do what you love. The, the second thing is make sure you, you keep good records. It, it, we keep coming back to this, but even if you're going to take advantage of the new tax provisions, you're going to need good records to be able to do that. Right. And then the third, third thing I would say is, you know, take advantage of, of some of the um, provisions that are available. If you're looking to reduce your tax liability towards the end of the year, you might want to buy some equipment to take the Section 179 deduction to reduce that taxable income, to reduce your tax bill, but you're going to need it in 2019. So use all the information that you have to make some um, strategic decisions for your business that have to do with the timing of when you make those decisions to take advantage of the laws and the um, and the provisions available to you. Brian Ashcroft, thank you very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. If any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? So if, if they want to get in touch with me specifically, I'm brian.ashcraft at libtax.com. Or if they want to get in touch with one of my partners, they can walk into one of the thousands of offices around the nation or visit us at libertytax.com. Okay, terrific. Well, thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel after this short break.
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show coming to you on Voice America Business Network. And we're broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where entertainment meets technology. As I said before, the opportunities for small business and entrepreneurs are going to be fantastic this year, I reckon. The um, economy's growing. There's more money around. So I'm absolutely convinced it's going to be a great 2018, but I'm afraid there may be a big correction in 2019. So there's no time like the present to get your act into gear. Now, Fortune 500 companies are asking college clubs for crypto advice. You know, blockchain is a highly disruptive innovation that is transforming financial systems. And in fact, it's uh, transforming most industries. And big companies are finally jumping on the blockchain bandwagon and they're jumping on it in a pretty big way. The problem is that these companies don't have staff with any skills in this area. And as we've said previously, there is huge competition in the marketplace for people with crypto skill sets. Experts in crypto are earning upwards of $250,000 a year. So without traditional experts for these companies to turn to for help, big businesses looking to blockchain clubs in the big colleges. Blockchain Berkeley is a student-run organization at UC Berkeley, which is up in Northern California, and it's dedicated to serving the Berkeley and Greater East Bay crypto and blockchain communities. Their members include Berkeley students, alumni, community members, and blockchain enthusiasts from all educational and industrial backgrounds. The team consists of undergrads from a variety of backgrounds, electrical engineering, computer science, economic, business, and more. So blockchain is a great um, career if you haven't yet decided what you want to do. Founded in 2014, Berkeley Blockchain is beating out giants like IBM, Accenture, and McKinsey to consult for companies like Qualcomm, Mercedes-Benz, Airbus, and others. Blockchain at Berkeley helps companies develop a strategic approach to applying blockchain to their company, and they advise them on the different applications and possibilities implementing this technology. They analyze the company's problems, and utilize their technical knowledge to recommend the proper solutions. They can create a pilot project to demonstrate a real-world solution to a company's technical or business difficulties. In order to keep up with the constant innovation within the blockchain space, blockchain at Berkeley research new blockchain technology developments every single day 
They translate these new changes into use cases and new approaches to solve a client's technical challenge. Now, a recent study found that 28% of large enterprises are considering blockchain technology, yet only 3% have actually implemented it yet. And the main reason for this is that no one knows how. But who really doesn't understand blockchain? The answer to that question is college kids. So um, in addition to UC Berkeley's program, schools like Carnegie Mellon, MIT and Duke are also establishing blockchain programs in an effort to have their students at the helm of a new generation of blockchain consultancies. So it's a really great business to get into. So when you're sitting there at the end of when you graduate and you're thinking about should I do an additional course, should I do a bit more education, one thing that would certainly be worth pursuing is blockchain. So remember, if you're not living on the edge, you are taking up far too much space. Get out of the road and let somebody who wants to charge past get past. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Anybody can do the ordinary. Only the special can do the impossible. If you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know just how amazing you can be by being a little bit different. Now, I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I'll again be broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.